hello. Welcome to I Love Rock and Roll. I'm Ken Krantz. And I am Chip Chantry. Hi, Ken. What's going on? How are you? I'm excited about today's guest. As am I. This is, should we should we just should we jump in and do this? Let's jump into it. Jump in. Uh, well, well, thank you for our guest for uh, for coming today. Uh, uh, he, he's an actor, producer. You may remember from uh, Rookie of the Year, the American Pie series, the uh, 2020 film with uh, Mickey Mickey Rourke at Verse. He, uh, but he's a mu- musician too. Uh, he's he's the uh, the lead gentleman of the Thomas Nicholas Band, the great Thomas Nicholas Band that we've really been enjoying. Uh, Thomas Nicholas is here. How are you, man? I'm good, man. Thank you guys for having me. I'm uh, stoked to be here. Good. Uh, now, you know, you've you've been an actor for for years, uh, producer, musician with the Thomas Nicholas Band, a lot of accomplishments. But the biggest accomplishment that I think we really want to focus on for this entire hour, when you covered the song Laid by James, you hit all of the high notes. <laughs> can, can we can we get into that? I think uh, accolades need to be thrown at your feet because that is an amazing task. And you, and you nailed it, sir. Well, I, I basically just, you know, I ordered my band to kick me in the balls yeah. uh, right before the take. <laughs> See, we get into uh, the process that here. At live shows, you know, like if I if I don't feel like I'm going to be able to get there, I'm like, all right, who wants to kick me in the balls? <laughs> the high note. It's like we're doing laid. You, you'd be surprised how many people are willing in the balls. It's great. That's that's wonderful. I, I'm, so, I'm so glad to hear that. I. Um, such a great song, by the way. Uh, one of my favorite '90s songs ever, and it pops out. That album that you did, "Frat Party," is it great? And but that that one really stuck out to me because it is uh, it's it's such a good song, and you nailed it. You uh, that is a that is a vocal feat, and uh, and congratulations on that. Well, you know it's fun. The, the, oh, go ahead. The, the funny story about the covering that song "Laid" is, uh, and this is going to be a little bit of my failures as an artist, uh, as a musician. I have been making music longer than American Pie movies and tried to get a song on the soundtrack of all the films. Mm-hmm. And so when I failed at the first one, the second one, the third one, we got to the fourth one, I was like, all right, James Band did Laid, Matt Nathanson covered it on the second one. I go, cool. If I go into the studio and cover that, maybe they'll let me put a cover on the on the album. Right. And then they ended up choosing an original. They put my original song, By Generation, which is also on the Frat Party album. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that's how I ended up covering Laid was, it was my last ditch effort. And then I wound up with an original on the soundtrack album. So, but, but it worked. So it, I think that, yeah, the process worked. Do you, uh, have you done a lot of soundtrack work? Is that, is that something you enjoy? Like, have you, have you ever written anything specifically for a, a movie? Um, the only time I ever specifically did any soundtrack work was, Wow, this just, I don't know why this just popped into my head, but my first songs that I used to write when I was in high school, um, when I didn't have any lyrics, my girlfriend in high school had this poetry book. And so I took her poetry and made it into music. And then she did this like short film for a class project. And I was the, I did the the soundtrack for it. That's the only time I ever did soundtrack work was for my high school girlfriend's high school, you know, project. Oh, that's amazing. Well, it was probably, I'm sure it, it must have gotten you laid, right? That that probably was worth it. <laughs> you know, I'm glad you mentioned My Generation because when I, I went on YouTube to start watching your videos and the first one I came on was My Generation, came upon, I'm sorry. The first one I came upon, I was like, it's all right, it's all good. Wow, what a great video, oh my God. Um <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but I saw it was my generation, and I immediately assume, oh, this, he's covering the Who, right? Because that's that's my gen- and then I click on it, and I was like, oh, that's not the Who's my generation at all. And then the next one I saw was laid, so I was like, what does this guy just take everybody's? song title and then i click on it i'm like oh no that's actually a cover <laughs> of laid and i'm not, i'm not, i'm just not good at predicting any of this what was there was there any um when you when you called the song my generation was was there any uh connection in your head to the who same thought i wrote the song with uh damian starkey who used to play bass for puddle of mud he was in another band called burn season he produced it and Bobby Amaru played drums, who now he's the lead singer for Saliva. 
Um, and so when we wrote the song, which was kind of in an effort to get on to the soundtrack as well, it was just sort of like I was working all angles. Again, I've been trying for 13 years to get a song on the soundtrack of American Pie films. Um, and so I know you'd think it'd be easy for me since I'm in all the movies. Yeah. Right. But uh, <laughs> but it wasn't. Um, it actually, to just sidebar note, the way I finally did land it was I played the rap party. I was booking a gig the night of the rap party, and then I ended up working out a deal with the, like, the people that were planning the party. They didn't have a venue. I go, I got a venue. So I played the rap party live acoustic for the whole cast and crew and when i went to get a drink at the bar was when one of the directors was like wow you actually don't suck we should put a song yours in the soundtrack i'm like oh i just needed the live show i had known i would have played a live show in 1998 when we shot the first one um but yeah so when when we wanted to call the song my generation that was literally my first comment was yours i go dude everyone's gonna think it's the who right he goes, great, whatever. Then they'll listen to it. Yeah, and then they'll go, click All on right, it. That's, that's a good point. <laughs> now, now, speaking of that, you know, having having the guy actually see you perform and then being like, oh, my God, you're great, like as if he was surprised. Th- that's got to be a little bit of a difficult walk for you, too, because you're, you're known as an actor and then you're a musician, too. But you've, you said you've been doing music for longer than this. Uh, how do you try to like over – I don't know if it's overcome or – I, I'm assuming there's people like, oh, well, they pigeonhole you as an actor. And then it's like he's also a musician. But it's it's like you do great. Have you experienced that a lot where you feel like you have to prove yourself more that you're you're a man of many talents? I am a perpetual optimist. So mm-hmm. I see the positive side of this. Uh, if you're an unknown musician, you've got to wow people. Right. Yeah. If you're an actor, musician, people automatically think that you're going to suck. So right. all you really have to do is not suck. I don't actually have to be great. I just have to not suck. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I guess it's, uh, yeah, that's, it's like people maybe have a lower bar. And then when you're good, then, then good is great. Right. I I appreciate the, the lower expectations and I see the positive side of it. And I also, I mean, that's kind of where I started. There was a, there was a time when I was doing a residency in Vegas, which is my hometown. I was playing weekly at this one spot, uh, kind of in the in the suburbs, and I remember Louis Anderson was at one of the shows, and I played my original song "Without Warning" as like the third track. And afterwards, we were hanging out, having some drinks, and he goes, "That third song." He goes, "What's the name of that song?" He was like, "That's your best song. You got to open with that. Always open with that." So I opened with that one for years, until the frat party album kind of birthed from some UK tours. Um, which is wild because they don't have fraternities over there. So they have this thing called Freshers Week when all the kids uh, start school and they throw all these like crazy parties. And so they wanted my band to play, but they wanted me to play covers. And I go, I don't do covers. And then I realized how much their budget was and how big the venues were. And there were <laughs> sold out rooms with 2,000 kids. And I was like, so do I get to pick my own covers? Or... Uh, <laughs> To make it make sense, instead of being like a tribute actor randomly picking covers, I always like to, you know, the, the total package. So that's where I was like, oh, if I pick my favorite songs from the American Pie films, it all sort of ties in together to a complete idea. Um, and and yeah, I mean, I guess I I don't even know what I'm even saying. I just lost my train of thought just by talking about 17 things at once. No, it's great. It's perfect. Well, and, and that's. Uh, by, by the way, I apologize, uh, Thomas. I haven't been listening to anything you've been saying. I just had this song <laughs> laid in my head for the past five minutes. So it's just it's just going through. So, yeah, if I can introduce you again, just to, as a reminder of who you are. No, it's uh, no, that's totally you. Which brings up a really interesting thing, because you I think you put out that album. I guess it's been five years, right? 2017 ish. Was that when it came out? When we put it out. And I think it's I think we're all roughly around the same age, too. It's 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 a weird thing for me that like, you know, that that era of that music that you picked for that like it's tw- it's 20 years basically now it's like that nostalgia thing is i think it's weird it's weird for us that i feel like it's that thing that we experienced is now starting to become nostalgia and i wonder if if that is even a if that is even a thing anymore if that's going to become like you know when we were kids it was like looking back at the 60s or looking back at the 70s or whatever and now like i i wonder if people are still going to have that thing i think everything's so much you know, just with the internet, kids are on YouTube or whatever. If we're going to have that same look back as a 
as a society. They, do, 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 you, do you notice that at all? Like with like the American Pie stuff or whatever, is that, do you, do you feel like it's like coming back now that 20 year sort of cycle? Oh, well, I mean, American Pie already was that 20 year cycle. When Adam Hers wrote it, he had a theory that there was a 20 year cycle in entertainment. Yeah. And so he modeled uh, Animal House and Porky's, which was 20 years yes. before American Pie. Yeah, yeah. So yes, of course, there's a, a 20 year cycle. It's kind of like, the uh, the expanded version of the twenty minute lull. Have you ever been in a group of conversation? Like twenty minutes into like the conversation, there's just that random like one minute of silence where everyone has to reset their brain. Right. Yeah. And so that's the same with the the twenty year cycle. And nostalgia has been a, a fun thing. And for me, I grew up listening to classic rock like The Who and Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd and of course the Beatles. Um, but when I, when I came into my musicality, I was listening to grunge, Nirvana, sure. you know, mm-hmm. Weezer, Green Day, Blues Traveler, Spin Doctors. And so, um, always sounds like nineties, but I remember when I started my first round of albums in 2008, everyone was like, ah, you sound so nineties. And then it became like, oh, you sound so nineties. <laughs> But like something long enough and you'll be cool again. Yes. Yeah. yeah well, we, we, it's funny. We talked about that 20 year cycle. We had Jarrett Reddick on uh, mm-hmm. from Bowling for Soup last week. And that's how we got you. He said that you'd be a great guest. And, um, but we, we were talking about that. <laughs> he was so wrong. Yeah. And I'm going to yell at him <laughs> after this. Um, <laughs> no, but we were, we were talking about American Pie and how, how brilliant the timing was because all of those like sex romp comedies, from the eighties were a thing of the past and, and you forget that like horny teenager movies could be hilarious. And then um and then we felt like it was probably twenty years from American Pie to Super Bad. Yeah. So that's about yeah, right. Yeah. And it's it it is. It's like once a generation, people are like, Oh yeah, like you can you can do that funny. So did did Jared tell you uh one of the two things that we're working on together right now? I don't. I don't think so. I don't think he did. Um, so we. I just got the first mix back, so we don't have the release date yet. But I was with Jarrett in Dallas. Uh, we were in studio. We punched up the lyrics. So there's this crazy story that basically uh, we played a show in December in Dallas for his Jarrett goes to the movies. We watched American Pie, mm-hmm. and then Jarrett and I jammed after. And so he was playing 1985. He gets through the first verse and chorus, and he goes, you know we should sing lyrics about American Pie. So we started trying to vamp it and it was a complete disaster <laughs> uh, because, you know, we're doing it like off the cuff. You know, I think it like, I, I said something about like, Finch couldn't get the Vespa started. And I think one, one, someone yelled out and then, and then Finch farted. And I was like, and that was the end of like the lyrical content. All right. <laughs> anyway, so I wrote the lyrics to the song. Uh, and so then I, I put it out on like TikTok before I opened for them in Baltimore. It has like 500,000 views. People are into it. So I went into Jared's studio. So we cut 1985 as a parody now called 1999. And it's all about American pie. Oh, that's um. amazing. I saw I so saw that on I, your like Instagram or something like that. I obviously I haven't heard that. that we're oh, that's see, that's great. And that's going to be huge. Yeah. So how are you? Are you just going to release that online? Is How's that coming out? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm going to probably do it. Uh, yeah, just online. Although I might do like a special pre-order to maybe press some vinyl since nobody fucking buys CDs anymore. No. Oh, my <laughs> Isn't that crazy? I have CDs. It's literally like, do you want a signed <laughs> you can't play anywhere. Uh, I'm gonna start like just printing eight tracks. I mean, I don't know. I I remember <laughs> I remember when CDs came. I'm old enough that I remember like the transition from cassettes to CDs, and I remember CDs coming out and just thinking like, well, they've nailed this technology, and there's nothing they're ever gonna come up with that's any better. This is the future yes. right now. And now I have yeah. a storage unit with about 500 CDs and I'm paying 75 bucks a month for. And actually they're, they're yeah, doing, but- they're doing work in my, uh, or outside my apartment right now. I'm, I'm sometimes in the other room where my backdrop is literally, I still have 800 of my CDs just on a, on shelves. Like I can't get rid of them. I can't, I know I never play them anymore, but they're just, it's the artifact that, that I'm, I'm never going to get rid of. Do you ever notice that there's always like an in-between failure though? Yes. Mm-hmm. Laser discs. Like, Laser disc. 
Oh no 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 mini discs. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Mini discs. They were like CDs in plastic. They almost look like floppies, but with like little mini CDs. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. And then they just totally failed. And we just went right to USB. <laughs> oh, man. Well, you, uh, Ken and I are, are, are comedians. And I I released my first album in 2012, I guess, you know, live album. And, you know, printed a thousand, you know, had a thousand CDs made. And for a year and a half, I was just making bank at shows. You know, you go to Buffalo, you go to, you know, Portland, wherever, and you sell 50 CDs afterwards. And then there was literally just one day in 2014 that it just stopped. Like it was just, it went from everybody's buying it to there was one show where it was just like, oh, we don't buy these anymore. And now they just sit in my parents' basement and my dad gives them away for free. And that's pretty much what happens. I rented a car to do a Vegas run. Uh, and I was just being funny. So I rented a minivan, like the dad wagon, you know, just <laughs> right, like, I'm like it'll, it'll work with everything. So yeah. I get in this car and I, I grab some, like my book of CDs to like hit the road. And I'm like, where's the CD player? And I uh, look at the dash and there's just a USB jack. And I go, oh, I'm never going to sell a CD again. <laughs> <laughs> I bought when I when I put my album out, like I was like, I knew that nobody was buying CDs. So I got I, I, I bought a thousand of those download cards. Yeah. And I, I literally sold one. And that, that's when I discovered that I'm too embarrassed to, to sell merch. Like I, I, I can't. Yeah. Like I have to hide in the green room till everybody leaves. And um, I literally sold one. And then you can you can see if it's I gave a bunch away and you could see if they've ever been downloaded. Yeah. I think I think I saw it was downloaded one time and <laughs> um, I probably have nine hundred and seventy download cards somewhere in a drawer. <laughs> That's Which amazing. I, well, go ahead. No, you go. Oh, I was just going to say, because that kind of brings up too. it's like even the music industry obviously is changing and how, how you're selling it, how you're getting out there. You over the last year or so, like you just started releasing singles instead of an album. Is that do you think that's the future? Is that what's going to happen, or at least for the foreseeable future? Or do, are you still looking at making a an album album? Yeah, so like I, I gave that a whirl because obviously during lockdown, I wasn't going to be able to like get together with everyone and go in the studio. So I had a guy, my, my friend that was working in Nashville. So we just write like over the phone and then he would just record everything cause he could play everything. So we just did like program drums and you know, all that. So we just decided to do a single and then we just kind of did that every six weeks. I, I I'll be honest. I made the mistake. I just learned yesterday that apparently distro kid is like 20 bucks a year for unlimited releases and TuneCore is like, $10 per release. So I literally made the most wrong maneuver that I think I ever have <laughs> releasing nine songs. Cause that's not just going to cost me $90 a year. And of I, course. I know that makes me sound frugal, but. Oh, of course, of course <laughs> it does. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, I'm working on uh, a new, a new album right now. I'm doing a collab uh, writing session. So I wrote a song with Ace Enders from the early November and then after we recorded the the 1999, you know, 1985 parody, uh, Jared and I, Jared and I wrote a great song together. Um, What's it so called? I, Stairway I wanna... to Heaven? <laughs> Dude, it's funny you mentioned that because my family and I just moved and uh, and we're now close to a to an area where there's buskers like every weekend. Yeah. And so if you open the the sliding glass to the balcony, you can hear them. And there's this one dude, and I swear to you, every Saturday he plays Stairway to Heaven. Uh, every single Saturday. I want to just like go out and give him a copy of like Wayne's World. Be like, here, buddy, <laughs> watch this movie. I'm not play that song over here anymore. You know, um, I don't I don't know if you know this. Um, Prince actually has a song called 1999. Have you heard? I've you, heard you, of it. You I know? think I've heard of it. <laughs> this will be just like when I copied my generation. Yeah. <laughs> that's the song about doves crying, right? Is that what that's about? I think that's the one, yeah. 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 Um well, it's so it's interesting that you're 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 putting out singles because it really seemed like now with everybody keeps all their music on their phone. So it's almost like our phones have turned it back. It's like 
it's like we're almost going back into the jukebox days. Like it's it's albums. Like who's listening to albums anymore? And and it's just you you put your whole collection on shuffle. And um, I I I don't think that's necessarily bad, but I do miss. I do miss like the art of discovering. I mean, I, I still try, you know, I, I still try and play out. I'm trying to get out of that shuffle mentality. Um, what about you, Thomas? Are you shuffle or are you listen to an album? No, I, I, I listen to an album. Like when Switchfoot dropped their, their recent album, like I'll go to Spotify and click on that album and then listen to that album in its entirety as if I'm, you know, pulling yeah. up a CD. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of old school like that. So this new uh, sort of album, it'll probably be like an EP. I'm going to hopefully collab with uh, Tom Higginson from the Plain White Tees and mm-hmm. maybe the guys from Lit. Uh, and then I'm going to reach out to my friends in 303 to see if they'll do one as well. They don't know it yet, so this might be news to them if they <laughs> end up watching this uh, this this interview. Um, you know, Sean, Nat, I'm sorry. I I. I Mentioning them in like so many different interviews, but not actually asking them. It's called circling the wagon. Um, but yeah, so that'll be more like an EP. And I don't know. I, I might do like things maybe through my my Patreon. Do some some vinyl, some limited vinyl prints. Yeah, and and pre-orders. You know, kind of like hey, you know, sign up for this tier and you'll get a vinyl. I, I don't know. I love I'm that. Not sure what I'm doing. I love that we're going back to vinyl. I I love that. I I just love holding the record in your hands i love i love that jack white championed that and and actually like made a dent i think in the perception well you you mentioned that you have a, a collection of cds my wife is a house music dj she's got three thousand vinyl upstairs oh yeah oh wow i i used to uh in high school my my job was um like all my friends would work at the mall, like at the pretzel stand or whatever. And my uncle's best friend was a DJ. He would DJ high school reunions. So I was like his helper and I would make more money. I'd make, I'd make, he'd pay me like a hundred or $200 a gig, which, you know, in, in when you're 17 in the nineties, that was a lot of money. It was a lot of weed money. And, um, <laughs> We would you we would bring in crates and crates of records, and it's just crazy to think now that that you know, like Paris Hilton goes out there with a fucking phone, yeah, and and does it. Well, it's it's funny because like yeah, Colette, uh, my wife, she she toured with records. I mean, she lugged those things across the world, mm-hmm. you know, and and you know, in a in record bags. I mean, there's all these old record bags that are all like partially destroyed just from the weight of them and then she was like the last one to move to cds when people stopped servicing their needles and then uh you know she she held on to cds for so long until they started you know it was just it made more sense to move over to usb uh and utilize you know pioneers uh program record box it's funny you mentioned that you were working with at like high schools because i used to work for my brother uh, DJing bar and bat mitzvahs when I was uh, 14, 15, 16. And, and if you, if you've read Tiffany Haddish's the last black unicorn book, she talks about that. She worked for my brother and she talks about me in her book. Oh, that's um, so funny. We used, to, we used to DJ, uh, you know, bar and bat mitzvahs together. Oh, that's hilarious. Uh, what's, what's the, what is the secret to a, a perfect bar mitzvah DJ? What's, what's the, what's the kickoff song or what's the one that's like, this is gonna this is gonna kill it right now. I mean, oh, so or, the, or at I least mean, back all, in the, in the '90s or whenever you whenever you're doing it. Yeah, I mean, back in the '90s, you could you could still uh, bust out with like all of the you know the the wedding classics, "Cool mm-hmm. in the Gang," mm-hmm. "Celebrate Good Times" was sure. always a winner. You know, uh, I mean, there was like a, there was or you just you could literally I, if I was DJing back and my brother was running around. I would just pick up like MTV Party to Go Volume Two, and I'd be like, "Any song on this, it will go." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> As a DJ, I just remember um, people like the old people because we did a lot of high school reunions. So if it was, you know, if it was like a fortieth reunion, you know, back in the nineties, um, people would lose their fucking minds when Run Around Sue came on. 
Like anybody still to this day, I feel like anybody over the age of 60 that it, 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 it turns into like cocoon on the dance floor. <laughs> yeah. So, so Thomas, if you want to let your wife know that what she's doing is completely wrong and she just needs to throw on some runaround suit. And then I think, well, it depends, you know, if, yeah, it, if yeah, it was not so a, much, I'm not, I'm not, not, not so much going to say that. No, no. <laughs> if it was a, te- if it was a 10 year reunion, you know, we didn't, we weren't very heavy on Dion, but right. I don't even know if that's who sang it. Um, it is. Uh, so speaking of, um, discovering albums again. So you, you and I were chatting uh, over text last week and I was just, Hey, what are some of your favorite bands? And and you mentioned Foo Fighters right off the bat. And then, you know, uh, Taylor Hawkins tragically passes away just a couple days later. And um, so that sent me down a wormhole. Like I always knew that he had these records out and I didn't pay that much attention to them when they came out, but I was like, hey, let me check these out now. And for the last four days, it's it's I've just been whatever three albums that, that he has up on uh on on uh YouTube, that's that's what I've been listening to nonstop. And and So was, you you've been listening to like Birds of Satan or I listened to yeah, I listened to that. Uh I know that was another site. I've been listening to the Taylor Hawkins and the Coat Riders album. So it was like oh, the okay. Coda so, EP and um the the newest one. Is it Riders? Coat I thought it was Coattail Riders, right? Coattail Riders, yeah. yeah. So it's funny because I when I first was like a big fan of Nirvana way back in the mm-hmm. day, and then right. obviously came into uh, Foo Fighters, you know, from that, as most of us did. Mm. Um, and then I remember I was only ever brave enough to play rock shows as an, as a solo acoustic artist because of uh, their their brave, what I thought was really brave at the time. In 1997, they released the acoustic version of Everlong. Right. Yeah. Um, which I was like, oh, man, this is so cool. And it gave me confidence as an acoustic player to, like, go out and play rock shows just as a solo acoustic artist. And then in 2007, I recorded my first album. Well, it's really my fourth, but we're not going to talk about the first three. <laughs> um, so I recorded my first album in 2007 and we had uh, Brian Virtue was co-producing it. He was the drum guy for Bob Ezra and he, he you know, recorded like Audio Slave uh, and Deftones. And then uh, Jeremy Rubellino was Bob Ezrin's cousin. I went to junior high school with him. He was producing it. So they bring in Chris Cheney to play bass. And Chris Cheney obviously jammed with Taylor and Alanis Morissette. And he was also in Coattail Rider. Right. Um, and so I, I learned about that band way back when. And then uh, Frat Party album that we talked about a bunch earlier, I actually recorded that at Studio 606. Which is oh, where, wow. which where the, uh, which, what did the Foo Fighters record there? So the Foo Fighters, that is the Foo Fighters studio. Oh, right, so, right. So it's like, they, they don't always record there because Dave did that one album, like that was at home. Yeah, and then but he then, like, went to Virginia to record at that, ha- yeah. that rented house. Yeah, so like, they obviously just released the film Studio 666, mm-hmm. but that's a play on Studio 606, which is the one that you learn about in, like it has the Neve console, that's signed by Stevie Nicks. Oh yeah, from right. um, Studio Six Hundred Six. Yeah, it has the stuff from Sound City that he bought. Yeah. That was like during the set. Like that's you know that's where Pat and keeps all his like you know signature guitars and all their gear is there in the back. Like Dave's got his MTV Moonman Award holding the extra roll of toilet paper in the front bathroom. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> um. So yeah. So I was there, and then. That was my second time recording there because I did a song with Blues Traveler, their 2015 album Blow Up the Moon, which Jarrett wrote on as well. So that's kind of how I started, you know, becoming aware uh, personally of Jarrett and Bowling for Soup uh, and having a weird connection to them. But we really didn't meet until last year. I know it takes a long time to like <laughs> connect with people. Uh, but we went we went to Studio 606 to record Chan's guitar for the Blues Traveler song, and I was like so enamored. I was like. And I come back here and record my album. Um, and I, I remember sitting at Studio 606. I brought like seven guitars for Guitar Day. And, you know, I like 
my guitars weren't in tune. So I just grab a Gibson like off the, the wall uh, really quick just to check the amp. And I, I look at Lou, the engineer, and I go, hey, whose guitar is this? He goes, oh, it's one of Dave's. I was like, <laughs> playing? He's like, oh, yeah, Dave would give you the shirt off his back. I'm like, okay. And he's like, well, do you want to grab one of your guitars? We'll, we'll start tracking. I go, no, no, I'm going to track with this one. And yeah. I recorded the whole album with one of Dave's guitars. Oh, that's amazing. That's incredible. I mean, how could, how could I not, you know? Yeah. Um, but then, like, I learned about Birds of Satan during that run of recording there. Because Wiley, the bass player from Birds of Satan, works at the studio. And uh, Wiley uh, is, was, you know, is or was uh, one of Taylor's best friends. They were roommates back in the day when the Foo Fighters were going to do their very, very first tour. And Taylor had fired his drum tech and looks at Wiley, who's like smoking a bowl on the couch, like, hey, man, <laughs> you want a job? He's like, what do you want me to do? My drum tech he's like i don't know anything about that he goes it's fine just do what i tell you to do and he hires wiley to like be his drum tech even though he doesn't know shit about drums that's, that's great incredible. that's we we've talked about this so many times uh on this show it's um being a good hang will get you further than any other than any discernible talent that you may have if if there's somebody that just enjoys hanging out with you and taking you on the road that's that's the best way to get the job and then it just it just speaks volumes about the type of person that taylor is in that whole camp is that when they weren't doing birds of satan shows and wiley eventually wasn't his drum tech he kept him employed at studio 606 he literally just took care of his friend yeah forward it's it's uh, you know the the tributes because it was his death was so unexpected like the the tributes have been um like of course he was one of the greatest drummers ever you know and and it, it, it's funny i was thinking about it on the way over like foo fighters are the only band i could think of that had two of the greatest drummers who ever yeah. lived in the same band and um it had to have been you know I mean, it doesn't look like it because you can tell that they really were like brothers, but it's it's got to be hard when your boss is as good as you at, at, at your job. And for sure. Yeah. I mean, he 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 was what talk about like no pressure. You're just joining a band with what one of the world's best drummers already in it. Yes. Who just can't do it live because he's also the front man. <laughs> right. Yeah. And and you're and you're replacing a guy who who couldn't who couldn't keep up with Dave. I mean Foo because uh, but but Taylor was even in the band. Dave didn't let him record on Nothing Left to Lose. Right. He recorded everything himself, but Taylor was just like the live guy, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there they so the the Foo Fighters first album, Dave played every single instrument. Yeah. And then went out with a touring band. Um the drum, I forget the drummer's name. There's a really great, I went back and I watched it. I think it was, was it William Goldsmith? I think. Is yeah. That from maybe a, that sunny day real is estate. That, is that color in the shape? Um, was that the, was that the first album? Right. Yeah, after, after the first, yeah, it was the second album, I think. Right. Cause he did, that was the one after like the first one that Dave did all himself. And then I, I think it was color in the shape, right? Because it was, cause he had the band. It was two of the guys from, from sunny day real estate. And I, th I think it's William Goldsmith. That's his name. That, was something that, that yeah, that that may have been it. Yeah. So, oh, the Foo Fighters' first album was self-titled. The second was the Color and the Shape. Yeah. yeah so they they recorded with the first uh, album, the one with the with the gun on it, yes, the, the ray gun, right, yeah. gun, right? Which he has that in the studio. It's an actual prop. Oh, that's, I don't know if someone oh, made it, really? it after the photo. I don't know if it like which. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? <laughs> yeah, there's, there, I have the a ray gun or the it. album. It's, like an, it's in like a like a shadow box, and it's got like the actual prop gun. So yeah, so the uh, William Goldsmith, uh, they they record the second album, and Dave just isn't you know he he he's not in love with the drum sound, and and. Um, he there's an excellent Foo Fighters documentary, by the way, if you're listening, I went back and watched it this weekend called Back and Forth so that you can see they interview everybody involved. And um, Dave went back in secret and re-recorded all the drum part, but he brought the whole band back in except for the drummer and re-recorded everything. And then once it was done, they let the drummer know. 
And of course he was, he, yeah, yeah. And, and Dave admits, right. I was young. I didn't handle this right. Like, I'm not pleased with the way I handled it. Um, and Whoops. yeah, <laughs> so they re-recorded the whole album. Um, he offered the guy, he was like, listen, you can still be the touring drummer, but I think his feelings were just too hurt. And he bowed, which by the way, I don't, I think maybe, I, I don't know what, I think maybe I'd have swallowed my pride and be like, yeah, I'll still tour with <laughs> yeah, you. I'll still tour with yeah, the I'll, Fighters. I'll still have a great job. Um, Speaking of which, Thomas, if you're available tomorrow, if we could re-record this, maybe just you and me. <laughs> and then, no offense, Ken, nothing. Yeah, just, I'm, just, uh, just go into the chat. Just go into the chat right now, and we'll uh, get the details. So then uh, Dave, when, so, yeah, so the color and the shape is done with Dave on the drums. Um, but then for a touring band, and then for, as a new permanent drummer, uh, they reached out to Taylor Hawkins. They, I think they wanted Taylor Hawkins, but he was in Alanis Morissette's band. And mm-hmm. people don't remember, like that was the biggest album of the year. You know, Huge. like Foo Fighters were still kind of an unknown quantity. And um, so he did that move, you know, where he was like, hey, do you know anybody that that might want to audition? And then Taylor was like, well, yeah, I want to audition. Uh, and then that's how that's how he got in the band, but that that's got to be a tremendous. I, I saw um, I saw Queens of the Stone Age. Remember, Dave Grohl recorded an album with Queens of the Stone Age, yeah. and oh, yeah. uh, it was a lullabies to Paralyze, I think. And um, I saw them at a at, at the Bowery Ballroom in New York City, which maybe holds four hundred people, and Dave Grohl was on drums. And um, Josh Homme is like this mesmerizing front man that you normally can't take your eyes off. But that whole night, I just I couldn't stop watching Dave Grohl. I've never seen somebody hit the drum so hard. And it was it was like Mark Lanigan came out with them. But it was all you can watch was. And then you're like, oh, my God, that's the dude from Nirvana, like 20 feet away. Yeah. But it wasn't even for both of those guys for 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 Dave and, you know, and Taylor may rest in peace. It was never even just about how hard they hit it. It's about what they played. It was always like so tasteful. Yeah. You know, I'm even thinking of like, I remember when I was getting ready for American reunion, I was doing P90X. So the Foo Fighters album, Wasting Light was like the perfect for each of the workouts. And then like the cool down period was like the dead mouse remix. (laughs) Uh, rope, <laughs> which is like, I mean, rope that, yeah. that, those yes. drums, which I got to see them play that live. My first show back, the lockdown was seeing the Foo Fighters at the Canyon Club, which is a 600 cap room. Oh, wow. That had to be amazing. And, and it's, it's a crazy story. So after recording at the Foo Fighters studio in 2016, I had still yet to see the Foo Fighters live because every time that they were playing in a, in town, I was on tour. And then like the one time they were here and they were playing at the, you know, the Wiltern or the Forum or something, my my wife was like seven months pregnant with our first child. And, and, and she's like, you're not going to the Foo Fighters show and coming back wasted while I'm this pregnant. <laughs> and I'm not, and I'm not going to the Foo Fighters show while I'm this pregnant. So you're not going. And I was like, ah. So I had never seen them live. And of course, after recording there, they're like, "Come and see us anytime." I remember one time they invited me to band practice. Oh wow! For a, for a gig at Studio Six Hundred Six, and I was leaving for Austria that morning at six a.m. And the gig was like that night, mm-hmm. so I couldn't like delay. I was like ready to, I was ready to cancel my gig. Just to go to Foo Fighters practice. And I was like, that's not very smart. Cause like, what if I get there and like, then they don't have it or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. or I get there, they're like, nah, we changed your mind. You're an idiot. Get out of here. And then I'm just like, <laughs> shit, I just left money on the table. Um, so like every time I just couldn't do it. So finally it worked out. So I, I hit up, uh, you know, Gus Brandt and, uh, and he's like, yeah, man, you can come to the show. And, um, and that was my first time ever getting to see Foo Fighters. And they played, um, I live in skin off of nothing left to lose that mm-hmm. night, which was my favorite song off that album. Total random story. Uh, I screen tested for a film 
with Marla Sokoloff and they wanted me to like play a song in the beginning of the scene. And that was the song that I picked. I didn't end up getting the part, but I still love that song. Um, <laughs> and, and yeah, and they also played rope that night. Yeah. I mean that, I'll do the drums and that fill in the middle. Like, yes. holy shit. Seeing that live was amazing. Yeah. They're, um, that was my favorite Foo Fighters album by a mile that that's that's still that's if if i'm listening if i if i feel like listening to the foo fighters that's what i go back and listen to every time like i said i did it p90x i did p90x two times so i've heard that album literally i know 180 times front to back (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i by the way how how have shows been back uh since since the pandemic how how have have your shows uh What's it like being out on the road? I went out like as soon as I possibly could doing outdoor gigs, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, obviously we were all hurting during that time of, sure. uh, of things and, and, and trying to keep venues alive. And a lot of them didn't survive. Uh, but I think my first show back was like, uh, was it May, 2021? Mm-hmm. Like that, I went to like an outdoor, you know, gig. We did a, a, a screen, an outdoor screening of American Pie, and and people were just, you know, to, to be out. And yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been fine. I don't know. I, at this point, I'm I'm triple shot. I've got the, the Decepticon in January, so <laughs> I survive. I survived Megatron. Yeah, <laughs> just a, I'm a walking antibody, uh, so I feel pretty safe. Um, yeah, boy, we did, we did a lot of those outdoor shows. I, uh, that was, that was, that was wild doing. I had a show booked. This was, this was the most excited I've ever been to do a show. Somebody booked me to do a show in a cemetery. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Like, um, it's in Jersey city Mm -hmm. and apparently it's like, Please just tell me the crowd wasn't dead. <laughs> well, here's Sorry. here's dad jokes. <laughs> here's here's what happened. I was I didn't. It was the fastest yes I've ever given to uh, somebody asking me to do a show. I, I didn't ask the money. I didn't see, I didn't check to see who was. On. I was like, yeah, just because that sounds like the best yeah. story ever. And apparently, it's the cemetery is a little punk rock. Like they've held concerts there in the past. Uh, usually, punk bands. And um, I was like, what a cool story. And then this is like funny, but not funny. The, they canceled the show the day of because the lady who ran the cemetery died. Oh, wow. Yeah. So. <laughs> so wait, so you weren't able to. Did you ever do it again? Did they reschedule? No, they were like, hey, we'll reschedule. But they never did. But that was like, you know, like that was like. You remember, you remember like the, during lockdown, it was like, it was just bad news after bad news after bad news. Yeah. And then I, I had this one thing that I was like, well, I'm actually really excited to go out and do this. You finally got a bump. Yeah. I was like, oh, something to look forward to for the first time in seven months. <laughs> and then they were like, hey, the show's canceled. The lady died. I was like, yeah, of course she did. <laughs> <laughs> One of the first shows I did back was was at Soul Joel's with you, Ken, where literally and it's like you don't think about this, too. And especially as a musician, but as a comedian, it was it, this guy outside of Philadelphia has his had this great setup. He, he bought this amazing literally like a dome. You know, it was like an airplane hangar and d- was able to do outdoor shows through basically throughout the pandemic. But literally across the parking lot, a freight train would come past about once an hour. So you just had to hopefully time your set that the freight train wouldn't come back for 10 minutes. Like it was just 10 minutes of just a literally a freight train just coming through. And uh, I miss those times. I miss them. I really do. (laughs) Oh, good time. Yeah. I I remember I got like offered, you know, certain things and I, I, you know, it was, it was just, it was a weird time, weird time. And it also, also feels like it didn't happen. Oh it, yeah. Yeah, it is weird. It does sort of feel like a hundred years ago already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's wild. I mean, I you know, I have 
I, I, I vowed to not write songs during the during the lockdown about the lockdown, but then inevitably, of course, you do. Yeah. So like, but I, I always kept it hopeful about like what was happening after. So we released uh, a song called Home Life, uh, which is the chorus is, you know, the world is going to change after this home life. That's great. Uh, yeah. So, you know, just I try to I always, you know, I told you I'm a perpetual optimist. Yeah. So I try to, you know, maintain optimism despite uh, the pessimism that surrounds us. Yeah. Hey, what do well, you um? What do, what do you enjoy more? What's what's more of? I mean, I have a I I have a feeling it's music, but what what's is it acting or music? If you if if you had to stick with one, I well I, that I my answer is always going to be the same, and it's always going to be I'm going to do everything always, and I'm going to do both, and uh, I refuse to to choose just one because I love them both for very different reasons. Yeah. Um. You know, you mentioned in the in the beginning uh, when you introduced me my recent film adverse, which is a very, very different role for me. Um, if you, if you've not seen it, I, I've had people that know me and my business partner has shown people and we've done multiple films together and they've watched the trailer and been like, Oh, you're not working with Thomas anymore. You guys did like five films together. How come he's not in this one? And my business partner is like, he's the lead guy. You just watched him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's, it's a very, very different, it's a crime drama. I get to, you know, go head to head with Mickey Rourke, uh, who's an amazing actor. Lou is that, inti- is that, I mean, this is a dumb question, but is that intimidating to do that? Or was he, was he cool, cool enough to, to work with? Like, that's gotta be, I figure the first day on set has gotta be a little, a little intimidating to, to be up against Mickey Rourke. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to lie. It was, it was, there was a, a, a level of intimidation. It was to the point where, introduce himself to me so i didn't introduce myself to him i didn't want to you know because also my character is supposed to go up with him so i was like okay maybe he's doing that because our first scene that we're shooting is actually the scene where our characters meet right so and he's very he's not method but the way that he falls into his character is every ounce of his being is so in character that when i showed clips uh to you know my wife she's like oh how's his health i'm like dude, the, the guy's fine. He's got a six pack. He's working out between camera setups. He brings a gym with him. Yeah. Uh, but in the film, he's, he has failing health and is like using a cane and is so believable that everyone thought like he had health problems. Yeah. Wow. He's uh, I don't know why he isn't. I mean, I know, you know, some of the, um, some of his personal life shit, but uh, I don't know why he's not celebrated as like one of the great American actors of all time. I, I mean, I think, I think in the industry, those that know him know how talented he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think he's also outacted some of his peers and has probably created animosity. Oh yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah. You know, he's not, he's not, and he's not shy to to talk about those moments either. Um, you know, with people like De Niro, and they have a. They, I mean, I, I'm not speaking of anything that you, you can't read about. Right. They right. publicly have a, a feud and have gone back and forth, you know, talking, talking trash to each other for for decades ever since uh, we're and, no angels. So yeah. was it uh, Angel Heart? Or not Angel Heart? Sorry. By the way, an, Angel Heart. I've one. I've seen that. I've seen Angel Heart maybe a thousand times. It's it's such a fucking like off the wall slow burn horror movie. And uh, it's so great. It's um that Pope of Greenwich Village. Um, I mean, he's just he was in so many great movies. And yeah, I so after that scene, we remember I, I said he didn't introduce himself to me. So we we finished the first take, and he kind of goes off book, or like you know the director says cut. So I'm kind of following along with him. So I'm I'm in the scene. I'm. I'm dancing with Rourke, you know? Yeah. And, and we're, we're playing off each other. And then finally, like the scene ends and he looks at me and he goes, and I was like, I made it. He, he gave me like, like he introduced himself to me. Oh, that's amazing. So I was like, like a big head, but I was like, it was a big moment for me. Like after I did one take with him that he like, kind of like cocked his head back at me. Like, I don't hate you. I'm Mickey. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's got to be pretty gratifying, I, I would imagine. 
Yeah, it was. I mean, work, same thing happened with, uh, I mean, Lou Diamond Phillips is, is a very soft-spoken individual, a different mm-hmm. energy than Mickey. Um, but I remember, you know, Lou is great too. He's so natural. And I remember after one take, uh, a close-up on me, like Lou gave me the head nod, like the, that was good. And I was like, Lou Diamond Phillips just gave me the head nod. <laughs> <laughs> one of the young guns said I was great. Yeah. Oh, how, how great was that movie? I mean, uh, Lou, Lou is just great. He, he, he will literally do the same take, the same maneuvers, but he's so natural. It never feels like he's doing the scene. Mm-hmm. It was it was mesmerizing to watch him work as well. Yeah, that's that's the best kind of. Uh, I think that's the best kind of artist. Like there, there's comics I've worked with um, where it is word for word. If you do if you do five shows on a weekend, and and it's the headliner could do word for word uh, the same five sets. And I'm still laughing every, even though I'm like, I know exactly what's coming and it still comes off so natural and conversational. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, cause I'm the only one here that's seen all five. I'm the only one here that knows that it's, it's word for word, the, the same. Right. I'm always, I'm always amazed at that. I feel like if, if I try that, it's, uh, it, it, it sounds canned, you know, it sounds rehearsed yeah i i'm i'm a similar way i can't i can't deliver the exact same cadence and the exact same everything but i can give it its own spin each time and make Mm -hmm. it similar right um you know but yeah there's got to be an inflection or a thought or something that sparks a little bit differently for me to deliver it fresh right does that carry over to music too like when you're when you're performing live like are you always throwing a different thing or do you like to keep the same energy every time you do a song i mean i'm i i hate the click so Mm -hmm. i've never i've never enjoyed playing you know to tracks or you know clicks or anything like that it's all about you know and 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 quite honestly some of my favorite live music moments have been you know certain mistakes that have happened sure the mistakes usually birth as long as you don't get let that like deter you Mm-hmm. Uh, and you kind of just go with it, then, you know, usually birth something great that you'll remember forever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, from, from, from the ashes of a mistake, you know, rises, uh, you know, whatever, something new. And, and I, I, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not sure that I'm ever trying to inflect and, and do things for the, for the band. I have different bands in different cities. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have like different guys that I'll go, you know, that are my like UK guys or my New York guys or Chicago guys. And sometimes I'll have to sub somebody if they're not available and I'll meet them like at the show. Like, right. Right. When we're about to play, I'm like, hi, I'm Tom. Nice to meet you. And my, my number one statement to like any guys that I'm ever jamming with is, Hey, you know, just remember if anyone makes a mistake, it doesn't matter. Cause nobody dies. Let's just have a good time. Yeah. You know, it's just like. Just all about having fun and being in the moment. Yeah, it's that's a great it's a great attitude, and also um, I I think that people don't realize. Like I I have to remind myself if I make a mistake, there's nobody out there knows that I made a mistake. I'm the only yeah. one, and it's yeah. it's only in my head that it matters. I used to do that for so long. Like you keep to a, I, I write my jokes, I put my set list out, and then just deer in headlights, head down. And I have to do exactly this. And then it's like, I find that was actually one thing after coming back from a year and a half of like, of not doing shows of just being excited about doing shows and just thinking, oh, this doesn't matter. None of this matters. It's totally like you said, nobody's dying and just have fun with it and just explore a little bit more. And you're going to make those mistakes, but that's the time when it can create something amazing. Yeah, we're we're not performing surgery. We're 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 offering an Oh, well then you haven't seen what I do on stage. It actually is I do comedy, but there's I always there's an appendectomy that is happening as I'm It is really it's it's really pretty amazing. I, I not to, you should come out to my show sometime. Maybe I can open for you. It's disgusting. It's not for the for the faint of heart, but it's uh Sounds like early Bruce Springsteen. That's performance art stuff. You know? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like he used when he was in Steel Mill with uh with Steve, they they would have a guy working on a car engine while they were performing. Oh, that's incredible. 
So like the whole thing that, that David Lee Roth does in, uh, in Van Halen stems from that performance art because Bruce would do a thing where they would rev up the engine and then he would rev the guitar. Oh, that's crazy. I didn't oh, realize. I, that. I didn't like, know that. That's like that amazing. Whole, so Van Halen is actually like, there, I don't know. There's some sort of connection with all of that. That's and the performance great. art of like, this is all in the seventies. So I actually did steel mill. Yeah. I, I did that a couple of years ago. They did. It was like these like comedy storyteller, this comedy storyteller show. And they brought in this like improv jazz trio. And we rehearsed it a few times where like, I told this story and then they, they would like vamp with me. And like when it got to a certain part, they would go into like this certain rhythm and like I would get more energetic. They would get more energetic or like I would draw back and they would. And it was one of the coolest vibes because it's like I, you know, comedians always want to be in bands. Like we Ken and I both want to be rock stars and we're not. But it's like it was the closest feeling that I got to like being a front man of like telling the story and having this three piece behind me just and we we're just going back and forth. It was it was so much fun. Well, uh, I think we just hit our 20 minute lull an hour in. <laughs> yeah, we did it. <laughs> yeah. Thomas, I, uh, uh, I think all of our brains collectively. We, it, were just, like, it just stopped. It just, yeah. And I was glad I could be there for that. Um, I mean, we were all just we were all just imagining you yeah. talking and doing your bits with a jazz trio. With a jazz trio. You. Yeah. There was actually, we should just put some, if you can just. Uh, in post, just put some jazz music right in that silence. I think that would be, I think that would be great. Some Dave Brubeck would be what, nice. I'd love to hear what the jazz band would do at the point where our conversation fell to pieces. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> just, just, just like the drums, just, <laughs> just, just a bucket of fish. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, Thomas, I, I want to uh, say two quick things. Uh, first off, um, well, three quick things. Thank you so much for coming. Oh, just on. Oh, excuse me. Well, I'm Ken. Let I, me I've, say I've, six more yeah. things. I have. I just have a could, list. Of if you have the next two hours, things. Tom, if you could do that, we're just going to do the extended version right now. <laughs> I felt bad for my lull, and now yeah, let's just let's just drag it on, Ken. Uh, I, I had seventeen more things. That I to <laughs> well, we'll we'll have we'll have to get you back on if if you'd like. Yeah. Um, but uh, don't feel bad about not getting a song on the American Pie soundtrack. I, I was just I was just reading a book on David Bowie, and he did The Man Who Fell to Earth, and he couldn't get music on the soundtrack. the The producer he submitted music for The Man Who Fell to Earth soundtrack, and they passed on it. <laughs> well, so so listen, just to be clear on that. Directors and producers said yes to me. It was the damn music supervisor who cockblocked me on the first uh, oh, and wow. second film. And then on the third film, you know, it was Jesse Dillon, Bob Dylan's other son. So he was like pulling favors from like Van Morrison. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't have a chance in hell. But like I said, I did get on the American Reunion soundtrack and they added me to the soundtrack album. If you watch the film, when Stifler sticks his fingers in my mouth, which was my bit, by the way. Uh, I know that sounds weird to like ask another man to stick his fingers in your mouth, but I knew it would be funny and it was a trailer moment. Anyway, my song is playing in the background during that bar scene, but it's also on the soundtrack. So, oh, but I great. am in good company apparently with with uh, with David Bowie. Yeah, I'm not getting my damn song yeah. on soundtrack and, and of by movies the, that I'm in. The the music that he submitted, he ends up turning into uh, the album Low. Which is wow, you know, if you know anything about David Bowie, it's considered like his absolute masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there was the the director. It was the director I read. the The director was like, mm, I don't think this is for us. Um. Uh. Lastly, I know Chip is too embarrassed to ask, so I'm going to ask for him. But uh, can you teach Chip the Texas tornado? <laughs> You're, you know, it's funny. Jared called it the Texas tornado. Also, it's oh, maybe that's why I tornado. tornado. Ah. <laughs> what can... uh, which was originally buzzsaw, but apparently that is a trademarked uh, technique in an actual sex manual, and Universal could not acquire the rights to use that name. Oh, that's incredible! Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> um, Thomas, where can uh? Where can people find you? Do you have any dates coming up that, that you want to plug? 
Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm going out almost every weekend, uh, kind of back the way it was to, you know, various parts of the, the country. Des Moines and Arizona are coming up next. Um, but I mean, at Tin Band is my handle on all socials. I'm probably the most active because I'm right now on TikTok. I'm addicted to TikTok. Uh, so I always kind of post there what I'm doing. Okay, great. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me. I hope you yeah, have and, fun. Uh, and enjoy the shows. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, and uh, when you're in, uh, when you come to uh, New York, I'll, I'll be there. I'll come see you. Yeah, Philly as well. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, well, I, I'll, I'll be back in Philly at some point to finish that song with the early November. Mm-hmm. Probably play another show at Milk Boy at some point. Oh, Milk Boy's the best. Uh, I love it there. Yeah. 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 And then uh, New York, I, I'm overdue for uh, for getting back to you know Manhattan. I usually play on the Lower East Side. Mm-hmm. Uh, Red Lion is kind of my stomping ground. Okay. Um, so, right on, man. Well, thank you guys so much for having me. Yeah, Rock thank you, man. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Uh, we'll see you next week. This has been I Love Rock and Roll. <laughs>